The monk parakeet is a small parrot-like bird. They are very charismatic, fun, colorful birds. Unless you probably live close to them and they're squawking at all hours of the day, then you're probably not a fan of them. But overall, I generally have a neutral opinion of them. They're fun to see. And if you live in an urban area in the state of Texas, there's a good chance you have seen them. When they fly, you can actually see that they have this really pretty blue color on their um, or flight feathers, have a bill like most parrots, sort of real chunky at the base, and then um, curves down into a point. Very long tail, but kind of looks overall generally like a parrot. But how did this bright green parakeet that's native to South America wind up in Texas of all places? I'm Chris Blake, and we dig into it this week on Texas Wants to Know. If you're hoping to see monk parakeets in North Texas, Dallas's White Rock Lake is the place to visit. I followed experts' advice and went to Tokolon Park on the south side of the lake on a cool, sunny afternoon earlier this month. I parked at the White Rock Boathouse, and before I could even get my recording equipment out of the car, about eight to ten small, bright green birds were flying overhead. They went straight to a transformer, just as I was told they might. They, again, have found a way to kind of um, cope with the human environment, and their new favorite kind of um, habitat is like the electrical towers, pylons, as well as our cell phone towers. From there, I mostly stood and waited. They have an affinity for building their nests around man-made structures. Generally speaking, it's in power plants. I walked around the park a little bit more and saw ducks, geese, and lots of other birds that I'm not smart enough to identify, but ended up returning to the transformer to see more of the monk parakeets. Why White Rock Lake? What about that environment makes it attractive for them? Well, White Rock Lake, um, thanks to um, its wonderful citizens in the city of Dallas, has been one of our great kind of jewels for the city. That's Christopher Morris. He's an urban biologist with the city of Dallas. It is an excellent kind of habitat. It's got a large water source. It's got several areas for cover and shelter, as well as several different areas for food, both native and then invasive vegetation. And then, of course, also there's a human element. Humans are very caring animals, and so we don't like to see other animals suffering. And even sometimes we misinterpret them just kind of natural foraging for them to be, you know, oh, they can't find food. So we will sometimes heavily supplement the amount of food that they have. Are there any other places in the city or the Metroplex where they can be seen commonly or is White Rock Lake kind of the primary place in North Texas? White Rock Lake is a really great central area and it does have all those ones there. But um, I've heard from some of the different volunteer groups that I've worked with, like the Master Naturalists, they have seen some as far as like Grapevine, again, also by their lake, several different areas around Mesquite and kind of the south, southeast of Dallas area. So we know where to find them in DFW, but how'd they get here in the first place? We're not sure how they got here to Texas exactly. Liz Tidwell is a wildlife program specialist with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. There is speculation that in the 60s, they actually, um, so they came in from for the pet trade. And the, the story is that they were being shipped in and at the uh, John F. Kennedy Airport, the crate broke open, 
birds got released and that's how they started up in the northeast and then from there we suspect they migrated down here to texas the first documented case was actually two parakeets or monk parakeets in um, the early 70s there is also a story that somebody released 19 individuals in Austin in the 80s, the early 80s. Obviously, no one's come forward to claim that, yes, I illegally released 19 monk parakeets in Austin. Um, so we're not really sure how they got here. They just kind of showed up out of nowhere. If a crate did break open in New York and they were just let free there, what would they do? I mean, generally speaking, probably the first thing they're going to do is like anything else they're gonna go try and find a place that they feel safe. If it's the dead of winter, they may not last very long. Most exotic parrots are not gonna be able to survive in a climate like that. Now in something like Florida or Texas, they may stand a better chance depending on what the weather is that day. We do have a warmer climate than up there, but they're gonna go try and find a place that they feel safe. Then they're gonna try and find food and water if they make it till springtime, if they're able to find good resources, they could potentially start to build nests, find some place to nest and start raising a family, hypothetically speaking. Depending on which one is true, whether they came from the Northeast or if they were released here, is it realistic that a couple of them could have migrated that far from New York to Texas? Over a period of time, hypothetically, yes. We do occasionally get birds that show up, especially during migration um, in the birding community, we like to say anything can happen. There's actually some flamingos that showed up in Texas. They're not native to Texas, but during migration, you get storms, um, you get fronts that come through that just push birds in. Anything can really happen. But yes, I would say over a period of time, hypothetically, yes, they could have migrated down from, from the Northeast. Another story is there was supposedly supposed to be a shipment to one of our pet stores there around White Rock Lake. And somehow they were released or um, accidentally got out. And then there's just other types of rogue introductions and stuff like that. Some people like to hear them when they saw them on vacation, brought, uh, bought some when they got here. That's also kind of how the European starling got out into America. What is their role in the local ecosystem or do they kind of operate outside of it around the lake? There's no way kind of to dance around it. They are very destructive to our ecosystem. They are very loud and chattery, so they scare off um, several other bird species. Even they can um, be as loud to scare off some of our squirrels. They kind of carve out their own little niche or area and then kind of displace the other kind of native small birds. They take up a good amount of the resources that a lot of our um, native birds, especially the migratory ones, are looking for in the spring and in the fall as they are coming through the central um, fly corridor for the United States slash North America. And so a lot of those birds are already kind of like tired and hungry. And so they were expecting some type of meal here and some shelter. And the monk parakeets are uh, taking up that area. So overall, not necessarily a positive influence on the ecosystem around the lake? No. They should not be here, but they're here to stay. Like with most, most exotic or introduced species, it's really hard to eradicate them or get rid of them once they're here. What are some of their characteristics? Like where do they like to nest? What do they eat? What are some of those basics about the bird? Well, they are sort of generalists in sort of the plant matter. They're not carnivorous, so they are herbivores, but they do not really specialize just in 
berries. They can also get into the different grass seeds, um, the different seed pods and stuff like that. Because they are in the parrot family, they have that harder beak. So they're able to get through multiple different sources. Whereas, you know, the famous study of Darwin and the finches and stuff like that, and each finch has to have a different bill for a different type of food. Because um, these parakeets are basically generalists, they're able to access a vast variety of different food sources. And then too, um, since we humans leave a lot of trash, a lot of our grain trash, our breads and stuff, um, people throw out loaves of bread, crackers, um, rice cakes and stuff like that. There's always enough different types of food that has a good caloric intake for them to cop on to. It seemed like residents around there, some of the groups around the lake have kind of taken to them as almost like an unofficial mascot for White Rock Lake. How have they kind of been received by people in the area all sides of the spectrum and stuff like that like you just mentioned there there are several groups that love them and they are really fun pretty birds i mean they're talkative they're part of the parrot family so they're very intelligent birds they're very social that's usually what kind of endears them to the human heart is that um they're vocal they like to kind of sometimes mimic us or mimic sounds that we kind of recognize How does the climate in Texas compare to South America or the parts of South America where they're from? So even in regards to South America, this is still pretty cold, especially in like the DFW area. It still gets pretty cold up there and for pretty extended lengths of time. It's not like it's, you know, cold for just the morning and then by the afternoon it warms up. I mean, it's cold for weeks on end um, and they're still able to to handle that. There was actually a study that was done that actually found that they could actually tolerate temperatures as low as 17 degrees Fahrenheit. And that was, they still showed no signs of hypothermia. Um, It didn't indicate in that study if they went any lower, but 17 degrees, that's for a parrot that we expect these really tropical climates, they're actually to handle pretty, pretty cold climates. Structures they have with that electrical current, they actually can kind of shift the surrounding area up a couple of degrees Fahrenheit from the ambient temperature, as well as um, just this last Friday, we were already in 80 degrees Fahrenheit in December. So um, our climate instability is also kind of aiding some of these different kind of warm weather to species to get better footholds, toeholds into our areas. And we've had in the North Texas area, like a solid, almost a week each of the last few years, most notably 2021. But even since then, we've had about a week or so where it gets pretty cold and they're still here. It seems like they've managed to adjust to those temperatures. Yes. I mean, they have apparently bred enough that they're able to survive those kind of um, environmental pressures. They may lose something like 20, 30 individuals, but if they can breed that back plus more, they'll be able to survive. And that's usually what is great about some of these invasive species is that they have not so much the same predation um, factors as they do in their native habitats. So while several of our hawks and falcons and stuff like that may occasionally get some of the monk parakeets, usually those predatory birds, those raptors are going after our other native species as well as mammals and stuff. So, I mean, not all of our falcons are bird specialists. 
And then because monk parakeets also can get vast majority of different foods than some of our other birds, that allows them to one, have a larger food resource, as well as almost near constant, because we also have trash food all during the winter. Usually when there's not food, um, most individuals would move on, but they have constant sources of food. And then of course, um, they can roost off the sides of our buildings, mostly those electrical um, infrastructure. So again, that creates a new shelter that most of our other native birds don't have. So they're able to survive that way because they have new areas that they don't have to compete with other species with. One of the ways they're able to really handle those cold temperatures is their diet and what they eat. So overall, monk parakeets compared to other parrots have a fairly variable diet. So monk parakeets will normally eat, um, they eat seeds, fruit, nuts, they eat uh, flower buds as well. But the biggest thing a lot of people think the reason why they handle the cold so well is they can switch to seeds. Um, These guys during the winter months, they will pretty well solely hang out at people's bird feeders. And seeds in general are pretty high in fat and protein, which allows them to maintain that um, their body condition. So they're able to stay nice and plump to handle those colder temperatures. So if they're hanging out around bird feeders a lot, that would make me think they're living mostly in populated parts of the state. So where are the most common places to find them? So you can pretty well find them in just about any major city centers around the state of Texas. Um, You can find them in, so obviously we've discussed Dallas-Fort Worth. You can find them in Houston. You can find them in Austin. You can find them in El Paso, Corpus, Laredo, all the way down to McAllen and Harlingen. Um, Just about any major city area, that's where you're going to find a monk parakeet. And why do you think they're drawn to those more populated areas as opposed to the more rural parts of the state? So again, I think it goes back to the fact that there are bird feeders, a large quantity of bird feeders in a very small area. They don't have to put in a lot of work to go really far to find those bird feeders so they can save a lot of energy, especially in the winter months. Are there any other introduced bird species that are common in Texas? So, yeah, so we have um, a couple. So some of them y'all are probably very familiar with. We have house sparrows. Um, Eurasian collar doves are introduced. European starling are some of the really, also, I forgot this one, rock pigeons or just pigeons that you'll see if you're at um, Walmart or HEB. Those guys are pretty common introduced species that have been around. We also have the Western cattle egret. Those guys are actually native to Africa. They somehow ended up in South America and have actually moved their way up further north um, into the United States now. Mute swan is another one. But other than that, we actually are pretty lucky in regards to introduced or exotic bird species. Um, We do have another species of parrot here or excuse me, parakeet. Um, It's called the red red crowned parakeet. They are actually um, native here. They actually were originally strictly native to Mexico, but over the past couple of years, they have slowly expanded their population up into Texas. So we do have another parakeet, but they do belong here. Why is it important for us to make sure we still have these natural areas inside our cities in the U.S.? Well, one recent kind of um, example and stuff like that with the global pandemic and everyone kind of being sheltered in our homes and stuff like that, we kind of realized that um, a lot of our lives were missing some of these green spaces. And so as we were forced inside, 
we felt this kind of like innate craving of something is missing. And so there's just something kind of innate in our animalistic kind of nature. So I guess humans are animals, but that green space, that forest, that meadow, that prairie kind of brings out something in us. Uh, you can look throughout human history and most of our prolific writers are all about nature. I mean, you've got Thoreau, you've got James Muir and stuff like that. And so with those different ones, nature brings out something in us. So preservation of that nature is really important because if we don't, then we won't have it. And the only way to experience it would, of course, be reading it in books. Mockingbird is the state bird of Texas. So monk parakeets are not on track to take that title away, right? No, I would say not. The only reason I would vote for the monk parakeet over the mockingbird is the fact that we are not the only state that has the mockingbird as their state bird. I think it would be a very colorful, fun choice, but there are other better choices than a monk parakeet. Golden cheek warbler, obviously the, the people that selected the mockingbird for the state bird of Texas, none of them were birders. Otherwise, they probably would have selected golden cheek warbler, which is actually the only true Texas native we have. So they are born and bred here in Texas and all other birds that we have have breeding ranges in other states. So if you want a true Texan, golden cheek warbler would be the state bird for Texas. Okay, then. So can I go off on a tangent then and ask you, why is Texas the only place that they can be found? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, It's it'd be like saying, why can you only find, you know, certain other animals in certain places? It's just kind of where their range just happens to be. I can't I don't know what like their historic historic ranges. I know they've pretty well been here in Texas for for a very, very, very long time. I don't think their range has contracted or reduced in size. And that's why they're only here. It just happens to be where they're at. What's the other state with a mockingbird? It's Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Texas. So not very unique. No, it's really not. I mean, the mockingbird, it's a cool bird. Don't get me wrong. They mimic all sorts of other birds. They're very intelligent birds. But I mean, we could have gotten a little bit more original with our state bird, I think. Not have to share with four others. Exactly. I'm Chris Blake at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I wrote, produced, and edited this episode with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. 